0: visit ElkinsConsulting.com and schedule a one-time 90-minute StrengthsFinder session. What a treat. Oh my gosh. I get to interview the Jane Evans today on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Well. And I love, love, love how she describes herself as a champion of midlife women, because I, I feel like This is such a critical time for us. It has always been a critical time, midlife, especially in women. But now more than ever, we are in a position where we can and must make an impact on the world around us because no one else is going to do it in the way that we can.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. It is the most powerful time in our lives. And also the world has never seen a generation of women like us before. Um, You know, it was, I mean, I joke I've been middle-aged since I was 35, because when I was 35, my life expectancy was 70. I'm now about to approach 60, and apparently, if I'm really healthy, I could last to 120. So I haven't even got there yet. (laughs) So we've got a first generation of women that are actually going to, you know, live longer. And the great thing is, is it's not tacked on the end. It's actually put in the middle. Now add that to the fact that you know our generation is the first generation who had rights in the workforce. Um, you know, in the UK, um, you know, prior to 1975, there were probably five, five, five careers open to me, um, all of which I would have to give up when I got married. Um, and I don't think people realise that you know the, the 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 month that Bohemian Rhapsody became number one was when we got equal rights. Um, so, you know, and and you don't even have it in the constitution yet. So, you know. <laughs> so. Now. Um, and so we now have a generation of women between the ages of 45 and 70, and I classify midlife as between 45 and 70 because it's the end of fertility, from the end of a t- fertility to the end of our careers, because if we're going to be living till 90 or 100, we are going to be working till we're 70 unless we're incredibly lucky. So, you know, it, it, it's we, we're now the... And so for the first time ever, we've got a a, a bunch of women that are healthy, uh, you know, are educated, are experienced, um, you know, and if we come together, um, the power that we get from coming together, um, not only for us but as a sisterhood of of women all together with, you know, the the amount of supporters that we have from younger women that are all of a sudden realising just how recent we are that, we, you know, that that we didn't get rights back with the, the suffragettes that, you know, that was like their mum's right. friends were the ones that did it. You know, um, yes. they have a tremendous amount of respect for what we've done, um, an incredible amount of sympathy for what has happened to us. And, and again, I think younger people are looking at what's happened to us. And, you know, a very, very, very dangerous precedent has been set. And that precedent is, has been around since the start of time. That once a woman is is no longer fertile, there is, she has no further use. Well, that was before this new generation. Um, you know, we're now we've now got a, a generation of women that are so useful that I've got so much to to give to the world,
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: you know, and can actually come together and start saying, you know, e- each of us individually, I feel more powerful than I've ever felt before. I feel more confident than I've ever feel, felt before, um, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know what your policy on swearing is, but, you know, we've got no fucks left to give. Absolutely zero, <laughs> none. <laughs> none. And it was like, you know, most of us by the time we've reached this point of our life, have experienced so much um on both ends of the spectrum from joy to agony um you know we have we have we have lived through it so we don't sweat the small stuff anymore we're, we're really here for the big issues mm-hmm. and again you know in america roe versus wade hello oh I mean should be don't uh, even uh, I mean, i'm again, so sick should be absolutely up in arms. And you know, and I say to you know, I do speeches over here and I'm going we need to be supporting our sisters in the states. We need to be mm-hmm. shouting as loud about this as they are because you know, it was it's 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 ingrained misogyny and the patriarchy trying to fight in its last gasps of breath. Um, and, you know, it really should be a, a, you know, if we all come together, if we all put our differences aside, because, you know, again, at our age, we have no illusion that we're all the same sort of women. Um, you know, and it was just like, let's all come together and let's, you know, let's really fight. Let's, let's use our anger, channel it, and, mm-hmm. you know, let the world know that we're here and we're not taking any of this rubbish anymore.
0: You are speaking my language, Jane, and I knew you would. I'd like to get back a little bit because, I always start this um, these conversations with a question about something that is something about you that most people don't know. And now that we've kind of immediately dived into the meat of our conversation, I'm guessing that this question is even more relevant for you.
1: I right know oh, no, it's hilarious. My, my one's f- very funny. Um, okay. I turned down a date. I turned down a date, a blind date with Bill Gates. Uh, <laughs> It was 1983. I was 21 years old, drop dead gorgeous and uh, working on a little account that nobody else wanted to work on, which was this tiny little startup in, in Virginia water. Um, and for Microsoft Word version one. And so I would go out to the client meetings and back then geeks, you know, had never seen sunlight. I mean, they were like the, the geekiest of geekiest of geeks. Um, and I don't think they'd ever actually spoken to a woman before. Um, and so, you know, this gorgeous ad girl keeps on coming in and, and presenting ideas to them. They were all like agog, and, <laughs> and, and none of them had the guts to ask me out, but they were like, um, our boss is coming on Thursday. Um, um, would you like to go out for dinner with him? And I was like, uh, no, not really. Oh, but he's a 27 year old millionaire. And I was like, I'm sorry. I I was going out with an underwear model that night. It was like, there was no way I was going out with a millionaire geek. Um, And I do, I do regret that a little bit. I wish I had, you know, the the underwear model has disappeared off into nowhere. Um, But yeah, I think think Bill Gates would have been a very interesting date.
0: Well, you were 21. How many of us made decisions like that at twenty-one or twenty years old, where we we made the decision that was right in that moment, but you know, thinking I, that far ahead, how could we possibly? Why would we?
1: <laughs> I gave a speech once, which was like a, um, you know, like you had to seven minutes and just show slides, and it was like, you know, and I showed a picture of Bill Gates at the time, and everybody in the audience is going, <gasps> no, and then I went, that this is the guy I went out with, and they go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, no, 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 yeah, <laughs> we're totally exactly understand the same. That. Yes, I totally understand. <laughs>
0: isn't it funny though what I've noticed one of the things that popped into my head as you were talking at the very beginning was how different I'm seeing women younger women with each other than what I experienced as a young woman so what I'm I'm saying is um, the women that I know who are in their mid-20s now are far more supportive of each other than than I experienced when I was in my 20s. I remember just not really having a lot of women friends. I had a couple that I trusted, but in general, most of my friends were men. And now I see these women in their mid-20s truly supporting each other and supporting me as a woman in my 50s in a way that I I think this is a really big change in our generational (laughs) interactions. I think that's got an awful lot to do <clears throat> with the fact that, again, the patriarchy. One
1: of their greatest tricks is is putting women in competition with each other, and they have been doing that, you know, since and especially when Very we first well. got into the yeah. workforce. You know, it was like there was one, you know, one woman in every agency for us, and it was like when one left, that was sort of like the move around. Um, so we never actually got to see each other because there were so few of us, we were dotted around, so we couldn't, you know, we didn't have that ability. But I think also, you know, this generation of twenty five year olds. They are the first generation of, or the majority of, grown up with with working mums, so all of a sudden they have a, a real, genuine understanding of what we, who we are, and what we've been through, and so you know, <laughs> and again, it was like I keep on saying to people, stop judging us between us and our mothers, like. Uh, we had to rebel against our mothers. I mean, my mum just wanted me to marry some. I mean, my mother actually moved me to the equivalent of a town of West Point so that I could marry an army captain, and that was like my – I mean, we actually moved to Sandhurst, <laughs> oh my which was, you know like, – So that you
0: could get um, your MRS.
1: <laughs> so I could – yeah, so I could find my captain and, mm-hmm. you know, and off I go. Um, so, so we had to – you know, I had to rebel so hard against my mother – just purely because the way I was brought up and the world that I was brought in, was very, very different hers. Interestingly, not that different from my grandmother, who was my great supporter because she was, you know, she worked in the war. She was, you know, she was part of the war effort. She was, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it was, it was a very interesting time, but you know, these younger women, there's there's nothing new about women working they've seen, all of the struggles that their mother has gone through. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and, and you know, I, I certainly know with my daughters, we are the best, best, bestest of friends. Um, mm-hmm. I had a lovely example. Um, my daughter um, had a ticket to a, to a gig and she knew that I loved the artist and it was a, a really quite obscure, Tamina no, his name was, it was quite an obscure sort of Belgian Arab artist, but I loved his music. And so, like, my really cool, you know, singer, songwriter, potential star daughter is, like, taking me to this really, really cool gig. And I'm like, this is, I'm I'm so chuffed. (laughs) Anyway, I'm in the queue, and literally the woman in front of me is with her really cool 19-year-old daughter. And I'm like, wow, did everybody bring their mum? And literally down the line they went, yep, I'm here, yep, here's mine. I brought my mum. Wow.
0: You would not have seen that when I was in my 1920s. No way.
1: Absolutely not. And again, you know, they steal my clothes. I mean, I wouldn't have dreamt of wearing anything. I wouldn't have even looked in my mother's wardrobe. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have to put certain items under lock and key or it was like, you know, you can wear that once a year on a special occasion and you have to fill in a form.
0: (laughs) Well, I have to give a shout out to my mother because when I graduated from college, I was 23. I was on the five-year plan. She came to Fort Collins from, Col- from California to, to go to my graduation. And she and my dad actually came to the bar that night where we had a, um, we had the, the downstairs of a, a well-known college hangout reserved for a group of us for a few hours before the big night on Saturday night. And both of my parents came down. My dad covered the, the bill at the bar for a little while. Um and we were doing shots together. We we did lemon drop shots together. My my parents had been divorced at that point. But my mom and I and my dad are standing next to my good friends that are just ridiculously silly and we're all doing shots together. So I just had to give a little shout out to my mom. I would not <laughs> have picked anything from her wardrobe. I mean, I'm not going to go that far. However, she could hold her own when she wanted to and when she when she felt connected to something that was going on. So I just had to put that little (laughs) shot because she's pretty amazing.
1: (laughs) Oh, look, you know, our mums were amazing, you know, but but they were a product of their time.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: absolutely you know, and it was like yeah. they were a product of of what they were brought up with so my <laughs> mother was like my, my mother wanted to wrap me up in cotton wool i mean me mm-hmm. going into the workforce she was terrified for me i mean you know it was like she knew i was going into a battle and she didn't want me to go and do that battle why what why was i doing
0: that you know right um, you're going to get hurt it's going to it's going to hurt you're going to get hurt
1: darling you know why you know leave that to the boys you know you don't want to play that game and it was like well yeah, kind of do. If, if everybody has that attitude, <laughs> none of us are going to get through, Mum. It was like, you know, and you know, do you really think I'm going to be a teacher, a nurse, or a beautician? Really, come on.
0: <laughs> let's let's not go there. Oh no, no, no. That's so right. I kind of I, I want to go back. She did make that. me
1: do a secretarial course. Sorry, oh, she did <laughs> make me do a secretarial <laughs>
0: course though, just in case. <laughs> just in case this fell through and you needed, you know, something yeah. else to do before you got your MRS. I I have to ask you your mother moves you to this town where you're going to meet the captain of your dreams. And um, did, was that for high school? Was that for a couple of years of high school? What time of your life was that?
1: Um, I think I was 11 when we moved there. So oh. she was very definitely. So we'd moved. My father had lost his job. We lived up in Liverpool. Um, so my father had lost his job and the only job that he could get was in London. So the the family had to move. So basically it was like, okay, well here's where dad's office is where, where around that you know where, where's the commute, where are we going to live right, and yes, my mother's my mother's was like well, let's put let Sandhurst is the place because that that's where the the military academy is.
0: do you remember your first interaction with some of those um, soldiers? Oh, she
1: had one that she had li- lined up from me from high school, she knew that he was going there, and she was like you know he was the head boy at school i, I absolutely no way on this planet was I going out, you know, I'm, it was punk. I was going out with a punk. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want some straight-laced soldier. I wanted a bad boy.
0: <laughs> so tell me about this punk.
1: Did you bring oh, well, they Oh, they well, they were all pretty much, you know, they were all pretty much punks. Again, it was like punk was a really short time. So that was, you know, 14 right. to 16 was, you know, when I was, you know, looking at those. But yeah, after that, it was, you know, nightclubbing and discos and, you know, the works. But, yeah, it was I, – I, I. I. and also, you know, for me, I was very determined that I was going to have my own career, make my own money, and the the man that I chose I would choose out of love, not because he was an army captain or because he was tall right. or because he Where was – Where do you think you, that came from?
0: Like what, what was Oh, the, my father was a
1: captain in the army. My father was a yeah, captain, I so mean, she was basically
0: – your drive, your decision. Oh, my drive. To not be um, your mother. What was, I mean, oh, look, I know I what think, mine was. <laughs> I'm curious what uh, yours was. I, I
1: think mine started at three years old. So like my brother went to school and my brother's two years older than me. Um, I would, my mother would walk into school and I would scream for the next eight hours going, I want to get, like, I would be at those school gates every single day screaming, going, let me go to school. I want to go to school. Um, and in fact, the school, it was so bad that the school actually let me go at four rather than five. Um, And, you know, it was the 60s. I mean, my Christmas presents was an ironing board so that I could sit and, and iron with my mother. And I think at three years old, I had decided that this was not life. And this was very, very boring. And, you know, Monday was washing day. Tuesday was ironing day. You know, Wednesday was cleaning the brass. Thursday was hoovering, Friday was shopping. I mean, I was just like, I I think I was bored by the time I was three. And yeah, my Christmas presents were little ironing boards and irons. And
0: so watching your brother go to school was like, oh, there's a way out of this. I could do something different. You think that was it?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think I I was bored stupid until I could go to school. And then, you know, I just, I I don't know. I, I think from a very, very young age, there was a feeling of there's there's a lot more to this world than what I'm being offered mm-hmm. at the moment. So,
0: so your older brother clearly influenced you. Who was the the other person? I don't know if it was a man or a woman that you you connected with in a way that was like, oh yeah. And now that you look back, you may not have known. Okay, so time.
1: all right. So I had, as you've probably guessed, I had the absolute classic 1960s housewife mother um of which you know I, I really genuinely thought I had been born into the wrong family you know everybody in my family played golf I hated it um I couldn't stand the fact that all these people you know whole lives was revolved around golf that's all they talked about I mean I just I, I really did seriously think I'd been born I, I you know I, I was I swapped at the I mean I was born at home so I couldn't have been swapped at the hospital but it was like <laughs> if I had I'd probably been starting an investigation um and then all of a sudden, one day, a moving truck came in next door, and this beautiful black goddess got out of the car. And I remember my father over my shoulder going, there go the property values. And this amazing woman moved in next door to us. Um And... Um, Anyway, to cut a long story short, she became very, very good friends with my mum and they, they, they became absolutely inseparable. Um, and this woman, um, she, she was absolutely, so she started off, she, 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 basically she found out that there were no books with black children in them or, or any racial diversity of books she went to the library and all she could find was gollywogs in Enid, Enid Blyton. Um, right. and so she set up England's first, um, a diverse publishing company for children. And so wow. I basically watched her do that from her kitchen table. Um, and, you know, one of the lovely stories is um after my mum died, um, I came back to the UK. It was pro- probably about three years after my mum had died. And I went to visit Werner and she told me a story that I'd never, ever heard before. And apparently one day my mum had gone round and she goes, I finally worked it out. She said, Jane's not my daughter. And Verna was like, what are you talking about? And she, Verna went, she's yours. And to me, that <sighs> was like my mum coming from the grave, basically saying to me, I understand. It was like the universe actually, you know, she was your spiritual mum. She was the one that's going to drive you. She's the one that, you know, it was almost like the universe went, "This, you know, this child hasn't got what it needs.
0: <laughs> right. We're going <laughs> to put this woman just, right next door to influence. Put this woman died. right next door. And, and again,
1: you know, the magical thing about this is, is, you know, when I went to the National Film and Television School to study screenwriting, the woman came and sat next to me, and at lunch, you know, I, I made the typical white girl mistake of, "Do you know my black friend?" Of which, you now Carol's, you could see Carol's eyes about to roll into the back of her head. You know, you could see, and I'm just sitting there going, "Oh my god!" I'm, you know, and I just I said went, that out loud, oh. and then Carol just went, "Oh my god." Yes, I do. And you know, and it was Carol and I wrote our book together. So, you know, Carol and I, and, and now Carol and I have the same relationship that Verna had with my mum. And so it's just, you know, a beautiful synchronicity. But yeah, she is my absolute idol, goddess, everything. <sighs> so Verna I, I, Verna
0: what? What's her last name? Let's Verna hold on. Wilkins. Verna,
1: Verna Wilkins. Verna Wilkins and she was the owner of Tamarin Publishing. Um, I think it got bought out a few years ago. You know, she's, she's, she's um, you know, a, a, an old lady now. Um, but, uh, yeah, she sold out. Um, but, yeah, she had a book in – her books were in the curriculum of British schools. Um, you know, she was amazing, a, a real, real trailblazer.
0: Oh, I love that. I got a chill when you said that about your mother saying that Jane was Verna's and not her's. That's um, I, I got a chill because I I so truly believe that the universe puts certain people and and experiences in our paths to help guide us to where we need to be where we can make the most impact. And I think the great
1: thing about baby, our age is that we
0: can start seeing those patterns. And, yes. you know,
1: and again, one of the advantages that we have is is you know add patterns with experience, add empathy to that, and all of a sudden, you know, it, you can actually start to see where everything starts to fit together so you know yes. again, growing older. our brains actually change that way it was like you know we have dendrites in our brain that keep on growing and so what happens as we get older they actually start reaching parts of our brains that they hadn't reached before and so we actually can actually start to see the whole forest rather than just the individual trees and mm-hmm. we can actually start to see how things fit together more and um, I think that's a great a great skill that uh, that the world needs a lot more of.
0: Yes. Well, I was just thinking that, um, I I feel like I found my voice at 40. Um, I I feel like it was a time in my life. I had started singing professionally for the first time in my life, had started singing in a rock band and not just any rock band, a sixties surf and Western rock band wearing go-go boots and mini dresses. And in this little town in Montana, and people loved us. Our fans would get dressed up in '60s gear and come to our gigs and dance with me. And I tell people that that I found my voice at 40. And when you think about your 40s, I think this is a really critical transformational time. Is our 40s, and I know it's all transformational, but it seems like the 40s are when those dendrites start to reach the nether region regions of our brain that. We're kind of quiet until then. Do, what do you think of that? Like, where where would you go um, with
1: that? Yes, um, I, I would say for me, it happened more in my 50s than my 40s. Oh. So for me, the end of menopause was an absolute revelation. So to actually, you know, I, I, and again, I sort of, you know, I, I say to people, it was, you know, somebody said to me, oh, you must have felt younger again. It was like, no, I felt 10 again. And it was like, I'd had so, you know, we have so many chemicals and things running through our bodies from the age of 12 until, you know, the end of menopause that, you know, and and I got to the end of it and it was like, whoa, is this how this operating system would have worked without all of that stuff? Because this is amazing. (laughs) Uh, You know, confidence was through the roof. My creativity was through the roof. Um, And, and this wonderful androgyny. It was like I no longer felt as though I had to be pretty. It was like um, there was no sexual tension in business meetings anymore. Um, and also this sort of sense of there isn't actually any societal rule as to what I should look like as a midlife woman. So I'm going to choose how I want to look. I'm going to, you know, and and have my wardrobe, my style, everything like that is far more gutsy than at any other stage in my life because I think in the back of my head or in my biology or in my psyche somewhere was I'm a pretty girl or I'm an attractive woman. I've got to dress like an attractive woman would. So there was no piercings. There was no, you know, spiky hair. There was no outlandish you know jackets or shoes or boots or whatever um and you know actually being able to create my own style my own personality it was again it was like a, a time of absolute complete reinvention um and i think that is so so powerful again we've just done this course where we've trained we trained 100 women in digital media. And one of them, when she was going out to get a job, she was like, I feel like I'm 16 and I've just left school and I'm starting my career again. And ah. I think, and I think this happens so much for women is this realization of, okay, halfway point, stop. What do I do? Shall I retrain, can I start again? Because there's plenty of time to go and, you know, you could start. And again, we, you know, we've just employed 18 women to completely start their careers again from scratch. It was like, you know, 94% of the women on the course hadn't worked for five years. And we were going to train wow. them in jobs that didn't exist five years ago. So if it didn't exist five years ago, you're at the same stage as anybody that started, you know, was doing their A-levels for five years ago. Right. So, you know, you can actually go in and do these training courses, but, you know, you've got all the soft skills that those kids don't have. And so, you know, these women have just absolutely killed it. Um, and just to see... The ah, I mean, I mean, I've had a really fantastic career, but you know, no award or accolade or anything I have done in my career is anywhere near the joy of a woman ringing you up, going, "I'm working, I've got a job. I never believed it. I couldn't have done it without you." You know, just this (sighs) sense of I've actually changed somebody's lives, and to change eighteen women's lives is just. I mean, it's, 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 you know, I, I usually hate people when they say, use the word humbling, but this one actually is, this is really, really humbling.
0: Mm-hmm. When you think about the ripple effect of 18 women working, being models, role models for other women, younger women, older women, women who thought they couldn't do something that now, now they're seeing their friend or mother or sister or aunt doing something so completely different, transforming their lives. That's a ripple effect that but you it's even can't more possibly it's quantify. Even more
1: in- it's even more important than that, is that is that we've got the great resignation. Okay, so yeah, there is mm-hmm. such a staff shortage out there. It is unbelievable. And my belief is, is that during lockdown, um, women who've been told, you, you know, this is, this is how life works. You go to university, you choose your subject, you go and find a job, then you go and find a man, you try and get as high in your career as you possibly can. Um, then, then you have your children and hopefully you've got high enough that you can have your kids. Uh, then you have a little bit of maternity leave and then you go back and then you try and be super woman. And I think, you know, these women is just like, that's the way it is. And I think lockdown, all of a sudden they went, Oh, hold on a minute. There is actually another way. And I think that what happened was I think they started spending more time with their kids because they couldn't send them anywhere else. They couldn't send them off to their mums. They couldn't send them off to school. So they were forced to do it. And I think I think first of all they recognised just how much the kids loved having her around. Um, I think that they started to do the maths on how much it was actually costing for her to go to work. And was it actually worth it? Because, you know, again, people were starting looking going, well, hold on a minute. I'm not paying for train fares. I'm not getting my hair done. I'm not getting my nails done. I'm not buying a new suit every month. I'm not, you know, uh, you know, I'm not buying a lunch every day. I'm not buying two coffees today. Um, and started to actually look at, and, and, also, and of course, the childcare is, you know, right, all the of a sudden we're not childcare. paying that, that massive amount of childcare. And I think they actually had a year of their lives to live and went, this isn't actually making any difference to us. And right. and I'm enjoying being around the kids, and I think the kids are enjoying being around us.
0: And do you and think so- the other half of the equation has to be that there were also women that realised they wanted to go back to work, that raising kids wasn't what they wanted to be doing after a year of going, oh my gosh, I thought I wanted to to be an at-home mom. I thought this is something that I would want to do. And being able to have that conversation and acknowledging that that's okay too. I think that's a huge part of this conversation.
1: Absolutely. But a third of all mothers either left their jobs or scaled it back. Right. A third of all mothers. But not necessarily...
0: not necessarily because they didn't love their jobs but because ah. they had to balance things and realize because that it, the priorities were changing yeah yes. priorities they needed working. the flexibility you know,
1: was, they needed the flexibility but mm-hmm. what we've found now is, is that we've now lost a generation of women now we lost my generation of women through the, the you know the next round of redundancies every woman over the age of 45 goes oh gone. Um, you know we're now going to lose that generation of women or you know have a massive chunk out of that that group of women in in their you know who are in their thirties to forties forties now mm-hmm. um and you know and there are massive massive shortages now what I'm saying is is we need to start redesigning women's careers the sweet spot of thirty five for a career is absolute sheer. Cruelty for a woman and our biology does not suit it. It was like, it suits a man's biology at 35. He's about to lose his hair. He's probably going from playing football to playing golf. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's on a, he, he's, he's hit his height right, and now on a very slow decline. Now, what you find with women is is that you know it was like you know at 35 they're actually at a height for 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 you know for for childbirth whether they choose to or not they're still full of all the chemicals um right. you know and then you know but we need to design women's careers so they can plateau and then rise plateau and then rise plateau and then rise because yes. men are never going to take over the 90% of emotional work it was like and actually i don't think many of us would want them to either it was you know, <laughs> Really, they're not very good at it. It was like yeah. we're really, really good at that stuff. So allow us the space to be able to do that and have careers as well. So, yes. you know, if you start looking at a woman who's 45 plus, it was like, you know, I mean, again, my my friends, we're all empty nesters now. It's fantastic. Right. And, you know, we've got all the time in the world. You know, people are like, Jane, how the hell do you do what you've done in the last few years? Like, My kids are in their early 20s. It was like, you know, they've just gone. It was like all of that time and all of that brain space and everything that was there has just disappeared. And Mm now I have the time to explore what's in my brain. All of those things that I wanted to do but never had the time, all of a sudden I can start doing them. And I find with all of my friends, we're all the same. It's like, you know, we're setting up businesses. We're doing this. We're doing that. This burst of energy, traveling, you know, doing amazing, you know, designing the second halves of our lives. So now we have to get business to understand that we need to be designing women's careers. So the answer to the talent crisis crisis is to bring midlife women back. So the women that have left their careers can actually see that they can pick them up again. And start, and start again at 45. We need to show younger women that they don't have to be in such a rush all the time because, again, you know, it was like I say, you can have everything, just not all at not once. at the same time. And, that's right. And if we allow women the ability to have choice, I mean, it, for me, you know, it was always about choice. You know, feminism is always about choice. So every woman should be able to have Whatever choice she wants to make, so you know we shouldn't find that the only the women that chose not to have children are the ones that make it up to the board, or the ones that have amazing support systems are the only ones that can go the whole way. You know we, we've we've got to we've got to make it. You know, otherwise, otherwise we're just going to have an, a, a, you know if we don't allow it, we're going to have a world bred by idiots. It was like you know intelligent women need to be having and raising children. Um, so we have to build the mm-hmm. environment that allow us, if that's our choice, if that's what we want to do, we should be allowed to be good mothers. You know, and and again, you know, one of the things that we do is is you know we don't just moan. We 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 have you know things to fix this, and there are plenty of ways of fixing this problem. And you know, again, midlife women are the key, and you know we should be you know right. Come on, everybody, um, you know, get your armor on. We, we, you know, the the participation of women in the paid workforce is back to nineteen eighties levels. So all of us who started our careers in our 80s need to get back in there and do what we did the first time, which is pave the way back for women behind us. But again, one of the things that we found is is these women have been so discriminated against that ageism is so, uh, I mean, even they are ageist because it's so societal that they don't, you know, and, and again, they have, you know, doing this course, these women are like, Oh my God! I'm being ageist against myself. Aren't I do I? It was like, yes, it's yes. that ingrained <laughs> with society that even we do it to ourselves. And so you know, and and so just sort of saying, oh well, we'll just get midlife women back. No, that's not enough. These women need to be reassured. Um, you know, they've had they've had the stuffing knocked out of them by life. Most of them. It was like you know, anybody that's had a, 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 a you know a career a, a career break. Has you know been a partner dying, a child sick, you know special needs kids, uh, you know all almost always something out of their control. And so, you know, a lot of these women just, they need a bit of loving before they can be put back into the workforce. And again, you know, a lot of them, if they left a long time ago, they left because of horrendous sexual harassment. You know, they left because of, you know, absolutely horrendous sexism. So when they then get that added on top of that ageism, They're so cynical and angry, you know, many of them are angry, many of them are cynical, and and so many of them are like, I can't believe the world has changed and we're going, it has. It's like these younger women are now in the workforce going, we need to get our sisters back. Where are our role models? Where are the women we're looking up to? Mm -hmm. Who are we going to become?
0: I love that. I never thought about the idea that at 45 or 50 you're really at the sweet spot. I mean I I never put that together that this is the perfect time to explore a transformation in your career because you still have Absolutely. another 20 years to devote to learning and growth and contributing. I just ah, see I've I've known that but I never put it together quite like that and I it's part of why I created this discovering clarity course for women in this transitory place in their lives where they're trying to figure out what to do next because they're dissatisfied where they are. So as we turn this full circle and wrap up a little, I would love to hear more about that program. If you're going to offer it again, I know a lot of our listeners will be very curious to look into what this is and how to find you. So can it, and for our listeners sake, don't worry, we will have all this in the show notes on the blog post associated with this podcast at ElkinsConsulting.com. But let's hear it straight from Jane.
1: Okay. So the visible star, um, it's, uh, basically the uninvisibility movement, which is what I've, what I've run. We've been running that since 2019, uh, which is basically champion midlife, champion midlife women. Uh, in September and 2020, um, Mark Reed, who's the worldwide chairman of WPP, which is one of the la- world's largest media groups, Um, was misquoted but miss but also misspoke, um, saying that all of his staff were under the age of 30 and didn't hark back to the 80s, luckily. Um, which caused absolute forall. I mean, the share price went down, it was that bad. Uh, you know, it was like he was attacked from high. And so I basically all week did a social media campaign going, Mark Reed, we want to talk to you, Mark Reed, we want to talk to you, Mark Reed, we want to talk to you. And to his credit, he did actually pick up the phone. And when he got off the end of the phone, it was like that was not the conversation I was expecting, and and so and I gave him a pitch, and I basically said, you know, these jobs have not existed before, uh, you know, your competitors take the best kids from the best schools. Why don't we train midlife women? You know, the best school is the school of life. Let's train midlife women. He absolutely bought it like a shot. I mean, it was just like a a revelation to him. It was absolutely, you know, greenlit from from the moment, like it came out of my mouth practically. So we started a pilot course. We had uh, 300 women apply, and all you had to be was a woman over the age of 45. It was a completely free course. It was an eight-week course. We had 300 women apply. And we had 100 that actually completed the course. Um, And we started it with uh, confidence building, transferable skills, um, brand me, who is your brand, brand building. So the first part of the course was all about enveloping them, and making them feel welcome. And you could see, you know, they started out, they were all on Zoom, and it was like all their cameras were off, and then you could start to see, you know, each one, there were cameras, and by the end, you know, it was everybody was, you know, wide open. Um, and off that we we set up a thing called the Visible Society, which is a place where women who were designing the second halves of their lives. Can basically, meet you know support each other. Uh, we run all the courses off there. Uh, we run job opportunities off there. We do all of that. So our first our first pilot, um, you know, we've just got eighteen women employed at WPP agencies, um, and we've still got fourteen people interviewing. So we're hoping to get at least thirty women employed um, off the, the off the first program. Wow. We're now looking at taking, so WPP have just signed on the line to do another one for, for next year. They, they, it was such a great success for them. We're also talking to other um, 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 agency holding groups for digital marketing roles where there are massive skill shortages and we can train these women up. Um then we're also talking to banks. We're talking to recruitment companies. We're talking. I mean, there are so many jobs out there that people are desperate to fill. That basically, what we're going to do is, is we're we're basically going to bolt our course onto their training programs. Is you know, here's our course. We've got the course. We've got the community. You know, we look after all of the women. We you know, and, and filter them through to you. Um, and so we're growing that and growing that. We're actually, um, we've got a team in the States that we're just starting to look at how do we actually grow this in the States as well? Um, and, you know, so I think we've, we're aiming that this year that we'll do four industries. So HR, banking, um, life sciences and, and digital media. Um, and, 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 and we want, you know, we want global domination. We want to get as many women actually believing in themselves and if they've never worked before or they've you know if they want a complete change of career, yeah, we will train you in the jobs that didn't exist five years ago that you basic and and go after entry-level jobs that you'll be going against university grads. Well your life skills are just gonna blow them out of the water. And you know and again, but we can't only do that without having the culture change as well, because if you don't have the culture change. You know, I sort of, some of the women in the first course, when they went outside of, of, of the agencies that were training them, still faced the same horrendous discrimination to their face because it's so acceptable. Ageism is so acceptable. Um and so, you know, again, these women have an army behind us. We are making a movement to change the narrative that's you know, we have the book Invisible to Invaluable, which again is coming out on the States on June the twenty eighth. So and Yay. you can actually get you can actually get it on audiobook or Kindle right now, or if you want to wait for the beautiful gold, lovely, you know, valuable <laughs> <laughs> book, it will be there on June the 28th, which is a manifesto and a rallying cry. So, you know, it was like, this isn't just a tick box exercise to get midlife women working again. This is an army with battalions all around the world that are basically wanting our generation to have the careers and the retirement that we deserve. Because at the moment in the UK, we have half the pension savings of men, and 48% of us have no savings at all. And if we wow. don't work Crazy. for the next 20 to 30 years, we're going to face a place where half of our women will retire in poverty. And that is just not acceptable. And the thing is, it's a rush. We've got to do this now. You know, every, t- every year that ticks biased, we lose another, you know, God knows how many million women that are going to fall off the, the you know, are, not, are going to retire in poverty or have to work for the rest of their lives doing, you know, caring minimum wage jobs, because that's all they'll get.
0: Oh, I'm inspired. <laughs> that's amazing. I love this. I love how you energize your, your speaking with the way that you speak about this. So, Jane, our people here in, well, people listen from all over the world to this podcast. So we will have access to what you're offering, um, depending on where it is, of course. And I know that people in the U.S. will be eager to get a hold of that book. And it's called Invisible Invisible to to Invaluable,
1: invaluable. Unleashing the Power of Midlife Women. And it's written by me and Carol Russell. Um, Carol, and, 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 basically, you know, my, my background is, you know, midlife woman in the advertising industry. She's a midlife black woman in the entertainment industry. So again, it, we get a really, you know, a, one of the mm. things that we've said about our movement is it has to be for all women. Um, this isn't just another one of those white middle class feminist savior fucking complexes, you know, we, <laughs> it's, you know, we, we, you know it, it the inclusivity, is absolutely in our in the heart of our manifesto and everything that we do because again it was like you know when we started our careers as white middle-class women we, we had no problems getting in but i didn't see many black women And, you know, they never had a chance at a career. So many, you know, it was very, very rare for them to really have a, you know, if we had it hard, they had it 10 times harder. So again, you know, this is a great opportunity for women who felt as though, you know, for, for, for whatever reason that they never had a chance to have a career. You know, these are, these are entry level jobs, which again, in the UK is enough money to get you off benefits. Um, and, you know, Uh, you know in two two to three years you could double your salary in 10 years you could be earning a really really nice salary you know in 10 years you could Mm -hmm. be on the board you know it was like that really is you know and and again one of the problems that we've had is is actually getting people to recognize that women are really quite prepared to start again that you know (laughs) that they don't have the ego problems that they really are quite humble to be able to say you know what I'm really quite prepared to take an entry-level job and give it another go because, you know, last time I was playing on the slanted side with the sun in my eyes, it would be really (laughs) nice to start again on the, you know, on the right side Uh, of the pitch.
0: Yes. Oh, awesome. Jane, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me and to share your enthusiasm and energy. What a treat. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to share this with our listeners. (laughs)
1: Fantastic. Well, it, uh, read the book, uh, uh, enjoy it, um, or get the audio book. It's a lot of fun. Carol and I had so much fun recording it. And it was actually great. We had a, 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 a review from Bernardina Evaristo, who was the first Black woman who won the Booker Prize. And she was like, it's so conversational. I felt as though I was sitting in the room with, with, with Jane and Carol. So, you know, if you actually read the, if you actually get the audio book, it is like sitting in that room with the two of us. We do, we do chat it through. <laughs>
0: That sounds wonderful. I love it. What a great format. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much again. I am really looking forward to sharing this with our audience. And um, and don't forget to check out all the links at elkinsconsulting.com in the blog post associated with this podcast. Thank you.